everybody says they have AI today. If you went to CES, you, you could see everything from a toothbrush to a TV has AI today. Now, what does AI actually mean? Is it really generative AI? Uh, is it really predictive analytics? Is it machine learning? So there's a, sort of a spectrum of what AI actually means. Based on that spectrum is what business value it can bring. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Munir Hafez, the Chief Information Officer of TransUnion, a $3.7 billion revenue company that's been in the business of enabling trust for over 50 years as a credit agency. He's held his role for a little less than two and a half years, and in it, Munir is responsible for all corporate systems, digital workplace, uh, mergers and acquisitions integrations, digital employee experience, and service desk globally for TransUnion in over 30 countries. Munir's current role follows tenures as Chief Information Officer at Luminar Technologies and Adaptive. And now for a word from our partner, Codium. The last year has been filled with conversations around generative AI, but are you wondering how to actually get real value today from this revolutionary technology? Codium, spelled C-O-D-E-I-U-M, is an AI-powered tool that is securely personalized to your internal data, making software development teams 20% more productive and often writing over 40% of new code. This clears out time to tackle more problems and multiply your business outcomes. Join a long list of companies from startups to Fortune 500s that have chosen Codium as their internal productivity tool of choice for their software development teams. Reach out at Codium.com. That's C-O-D-E-I-U-M.com. And now for a word from our partner ASAP and the company's founder and chief executive officer, Gustavo Sapoznik whose mission is to build machine learning products to solve some of the world's largest and most difficult problems. Well, Gustavo, take a moment, if you would, and describe ASAP's business. We have a very, very simple mission. Our mission is to end bad customer service. It doesn't just mean the relatively miserable experience that we tend to have as consumers with the enterprises. It's more broad than that. The problem of customer experience, more broadly defined, can be really thought as a three-legged stool. One leg of the stool is the enterprise itself. Another leg of the stool is the customer. And the third leg of the stool is the agent that works for the enterprise. So what's remarkable about this problem is that all three legs, um, I can argue perhaps successfully, are, are very broken. If you are an enterprise, you truly dislike the idea of how much money you have to spend in this domain. So the economic problem for enterprise and how much OPEX is represent is just staggering. For customers, we're all customers of companies, so we understand the frustration. And agents have one of the highest attrition rates of any job type in the world. All of this to say we have this very simple mission of, of ending bad customer service for all of those constituencies. And now on to the interview. Munir, welcome to Technovation. Great to speak with you today. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Well, uh, I wonder if you could take a quick moment, Munir, and just provide a bit more of an overview of TransUnion's business, if you would. Sure. So, so TransUnion is um, has sort of three core businesses that revolve around trust, which includes marketing, fraud, um, as well as credit, which is probably the the one that it's it's most well known for. Um, but if you look at a, a transaction. Um, if a business is looking or a bank is looking to do a transaction with somebody, there's two things that they want to know. One is that they can trust the person that's on the other end of that transaction is not a scammer um, and that they can trust that that person is credit worthy. Um, and what we look to provide is being able to uh, attest to do both of those things and to be able to say, 
uh, Peter uh, has good credit and is is worthy of of being able to uh, take out this loan. And the location and the device um, and all of the digital footprint uh, or fingerprint, I should say, that we can get will indicate that that is actually you doing the transaction rather than somebody who's actually uh, fraudulent, right? So that that's that's the business of, of trust that we're able to uh, to do in uh, you know in the digital world, digital commerce, and and enable those transactions globally. And, and I, I mentioned some of your responsibilities as CIO. Anything you'd add there, just for context, as to the team you lead and your your purview in that role? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe just taking it up a level, I would say. Uh, I'm responsible for everything that's employee as well as consumer facing. Uh, so I don't have responsibility for the customer uh, ap- applications and, and products, but anything that touches the consumer from calling in uh, around uh, you know, a credit dispute or uh, uh, anything of that nature to, of course, everything that revolves around the employee experience. And talk a bit about the relationship between uh, consumer experience and employee experience. Uh, you you uh, no, no doubt think about each of those. And I wonder, as you mm-hmm. contemplate the overlap between those, how much of one there is, first of all, and how you think about uh, the points of differentiation that require very different solutions versus some of those, those areas of commonality that might have a common solution as a result of that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, um, the employee experience uh, you're very much in control of the technology environment that the employee works in. Obviously, you're trying to give them the best experience possible, best capabilities possible, but you have almost entirely total control of the, the technology environment that they're in. When you talk about the consumer, especially in a global setting, um, Asia, Africa, LATAM, US, um, you have absolutely no control of the consumer experience and the technology. So those are sort of two extremes. One, you control everything, and the other one, you control nothing. Where you start to overlap is in technologies that go around live chat, for example, right? And being able to help an employee with a problem that they have, similar problem that you want to be able to do with a consumer. Things that revolve around the method by which they may be able to reach you could be by phone, could be, could be email, right? Um, so there are some commonalities where it meets in the middle. Certainly, when uh, when you talk about, for example, uh, uh, metrics around customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, right? So there there's sort of a, a a common ground in between those two extremes that is common, and where the technology that we have. Um, implementing TransUnion, there's a commonality in that center around metrics and method of communication and and chatbots, AI, where it's common across both of those extremes. But it's it's difficult to get too much deeper because they are so very different, especially as you start to talk about consumer in Africa, right, where the, the technologies available to them could be very different or countries that maybe they even use um, uh, uh, written letters, right, to communicate with the bureaus. So, um, so that's how we think about kind of the intersection between those two extremes of consumer uh, as well as employee. You mentioned chatbots and artificial intelligence, and I know from our past conversations, Munir, mm-hmm. uh, these are areas you've delved into. I wonder if you could talk a bit about your your approach in leveraging AI uh, in the areas you discussed and beyond. Sure. So what we're looking to do is really kind of take more of a holistic approach to AI. So looking at all of the technologies that we have available that's con- that's uh, 
facing our employees. So you could go from uh, anything around Salesforce Einstein to Microsoft Copilot. Um, and what we're looking to, to analyze is there's a lot of, uh, everybody says they have AI today. Um, and uh, if, you know, if you went to CES, you, you could see everything from a toothbrush to a TV has AI today. Um, now, what does AI actually mean? Is it really generative AI? Uh, is it really predictive analytics? Is it machine learning, right? So there's a, sort of a spectrum of what AI actually means. And based on that spectrum is what business value it can bring. So what we're analyzing is, okay, from all of our list of hundreds of vendors, what, what capabilities do they actually have? Um, and what business value does it actually bring? Um, just because there's an AI capability, because you have AI for a toothbrush that tells you if you're pressing too hard, which was one of the products at CES, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a value add. So understanding the business use cases that each one of those vendors is targeting so that we, we can come up with uh, a holistic strategy of how do we implement that. There are probably fairly easy straightforward types of uses, which where a lot of people start, which is customer and uh, uh, an employee support. That's kind of one of the first easy kind of use cases where uh, engaging AI can improve that experience, can help get the answer quicker, uh, avoid them having to call. So that, that's how, uh, we're starting with kind of the more obvious ones, but looking to come up with a more holistic strategy based on understanding where the industry is going. And obviously this is fairly new, different vendors have different different maturity curves, um, but really understanding what is the business value that they can add just because they have AI in the title, that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a compelling business case to invest in that. Um, so that's the uh, approach that we're taking to make sure that as we focus on maybe the top three use cases or the top five use cases, uh, that we uh, don't get into the dis disillusionment phase of technology if you try and hit too much and try to do technology for technology's sake, just to say that you're doing AI and not actually improving the experience, cutting cutting costs, uh, improving efficiency, whatever the, the business value is, then you can start to lose credibility and the organization kind of loses faith in AI. And as you read about a lot of what a lot of companies are doing, you're starting to see some just recognizing that either the way they've implemented it or the approach that they've taken, maybe it doesn't add as much value as they thought it did. Um, but uh, the, the the companies that are getting the most values are the ones that are taking a more strategic approach versus a more tactical, opportunistic approach. Yeah, very interesting. And, you know, I know, for, again, from our past conversations, you've talked about the, uh, speaking of two different topics we've already covered, uh, um, employee experience and artificial intelligence, you've thought a lot about developer experience, especially in the uh, the age of AI when when they are increasingly important and at times harder to come by, thinking how best to uh, create a, a sandbox in which they wish to play, so to say, it becomes that much more important. Can you talk a bit about some of the your own thought process relative to that and improvements you've seen? Sure. Maybe I would split it into two different uh, areas. One is around AI and the, the role of AI with developers, which anything from generating test cases to finding bugs to writing code to writing uh, documentation, which developers never like to do, those are certainly things that I think most organizations are, are looking at, and we're certainly looking at that as well, uh, to see what, uh, uh, and something like uh, uh, Copilot, whether that is something that, that can help us improve the productivity of our developers. That's sort of one category. A more generic category is how do you enable 
your developers to innovate. And some of the technologies that you need to innovate with are maybe ones that are not yet approved for use internally in the organization, or it might risk contractual uh, commitments uh, that we have with some of our clients that um, that prohibit us from using data for uh, artificial intelligence language model training. So what we're looking, what we've looked to do is create uh, an ex, uh, a explorer environment that is based on Microsoft Windows 365 uh, and, and DevBox that Microsoft provides to be able to allow developers to use a virtual environment that's transient to be able to test out these new technologies uh, with capabilities and abilities that they don't have on the normal TU environment. So admin rights, uh, rights to go to certain websites, uh, installing certain software that would not normally be allowed in the TU environment with sort of the trade-off that you don't have connectivity back into TU, right? So you can you can go test it, try it out, and if, if you think that it's something that's going to add value, then bring it through the normal process, right? But the process where you're doing the diligence from a legal and a compliance regulatory perspective can take a while, um, especially since we're in so many different countries and so many different regulators. So we don't want to inhibit developers' ability to be able to innovate by testing things out, but not worry about, are they going to put customer data in there? Are they going to put some of our source code in there? Which, you know, you've seen articles, I'm sure, out there where developers took their source code and put it in ChatGPT, right? Um, so the, the, so we're working to find that balance between how do we allow our developers to have innovation rapidly while still protecting TransUnion, protecting our data, protecting our, our customers and clients. Um, and our regulatory uh, obligations around the world. So using a virtual environment that's transient gives them uh, the rights that they need, but not allow them access back in TransUnion is the, the, the happy path, the happy the medium that we've been able to find to allow for that innovation, but not um, risk our security posture. I, I mentioned at the outset, uh, among your responsibilities is M&A integration. Uh, in your in your tenure, there have been uh, a number of consequential uh, acquisitions, Newstar, uh, Suntik, uh, Fintelix. And I wonder, uh, especially given given these these sorts of activities, I'd love to hear more about your role and the the methods that you use in contemplating integration of of the the technology and the teams that are inherited with each of these acquisitions. So TransUnion did 25 acquisitions in 10 years, so certainly a, a serial acquirer. Uh, since I've been here two and a half years ago, we've done five transactions, including acquisitions and divestiture of our healthcare business. Um, and the the biggest, uh, if, you, if you look at any acquisition or divestiture, it kind of falls into two categories. One is around the products itself, right? You, you buy a company for their product. How does that integrate with your product? How does it complement? How do you cross-sell, right? That's one angle. What's the business value? The second angle, which is less interesting, but not any less important in terms of getting the integration to work, are your corporate systems and you know payroll and all of those things that you need to have that company be part of TransUnion. We treat those two separately. Each have their own playbook. Uh, on the product side, we work very closely with all of the product teams to understand whether there's opportunities for synergies around the technology, um, or whether that complements our existing technology set so that we don't 
grow our technology estate with every acquisition. You can imagine if we did 25 in 10 years, if every one of those acquisitions, we left the product exactly as it is uh, without integrating it into our core product set, you would end up with a, a very unmanageable technology environment on the product side. You do have the options though, right? You, you might not integrate, it might complement, it might be standalone, but when you start talking about the corporate system, you it's an all or nothing, right? You're either an employee that has access to the laptop and our collaboration and email benefits, all of that, or you're not. So the, the corporate uh, systems integrations tend to be more visible because it touches at the heart of the experience of an employee as they're being uh, acquired and are they able to work closely with their colleagues uh, uh, in, in the other part of the organization. So what we've looked to do is come up with a, um, a playbook with uh, partners that we use to be able to scale up quickly uh, to integrate these organizations and focus really on the experience. So uh, it might take you a while or might take us a while to be able to give them a TransUnion laptop because we have to reconcile the environments. But what we what we do is provide them a virtual environment that they can get into day one so that they can get to email and teams and be able to work closely with their uh, colleagues that are other parts of the organization that normally uh, they would not be able to, to collaborate with. So collaboration really is one of the uh, most visible areas. Um, you assume you're going to get payroll, right? You assume you have benefits, um, but how your experience is in terms of your mobile access, your uh, collaboration, your laptop is something that touches every associate differently. If they're used to a Mac and now they have to work on a Windows, right? It's very personal, right? Um, so what we've looked to do is provide options so people can select what works best for them um, and minimally at the level that they had, if not preferably better experience. So some organizations don't have BYOD. We do offer BYOD, for example, for mobile devices, uh, just as a very simple example. So what we're looking to do is meet or exceed the technology environment that they have to make sure that they stay productive, are able to work across the organization um, and have the best experience possible as they're coming in. What I've seen a lot of times go uh, pretty horribly bad in integrations is you end up leaving them alone. They have their own email system from your email system. And then going across becomes really problematic. It becomes awkward, it becomes uh, sometimes uh, security constraints, et cetera. So getting to a point where everybody is working in the same environment, are able to share documents, share emails, IM, et cetera, is really important to get the most value out of the two organizations coming together. And that's where we focus a lot of our attention on that experience and on the collaboration to ensure that the, the acquired employees have the same experience um, as our heritage employees and are able to work collaboratively together. It makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you sharing that uh, that philosophy and, and the, the means by which you think about this. Um, I wonder, as you look to the future, Munir, are there other trends that particularly excite you that are starting to make their way onto your roadmap? Um, I, I think uh, artificial intelligence, I think if not on, on, <clears throat> on somebody's roadmap, they're probably living on a rock, um, right? Everything now is about artificial intelligence. Um, so Changing is no different. We're looking at our at artificial intelligence as a way to imp improve experience, find productivity, find efficiencies. 
Um, so that's probably the, I think the biggest trend that everybody's talking about these days. We're trying to think through as to my points that I made earlier about sort of having a strategic approach around AI and how to make sure that we focus on the highest business value add use cases so that we, we the technology and the technology organization doesn't lose credibility with the business. And we're not doing technology for technology's sake. Also makes sense. I wonder, uh, Munir, I mentioned at the outset, you've been a, a CIO multiple times over now. You know, as you think about your rise uh, to, to, to those roles and especially to your current post, what have been some of the difference makers along the way for you uh, that have that have uh, propelled you forward to the heights you've reached? Sure. Uh, yeah, so th this is my third CIO role. Um, I would say there's, there's a few things. Um, the, the, probably the most influential, most impactful thing um, is finding people that are generous enough with feedback and, and coaching and mentoring along the way. Um, uh, a lot of the organization I work for, I work for Deloitte, PwC, EY, and a lot of the big four. Uh, mentorship is, is a really huge part of the organizational culture. So having other uh, uh, colleagues and, and people more experienced than you provide you feedback to help you grow and finding that network of trusted individuals that are able to give you feedback uh, so that you can grow your experience and, and grow from from mistakes that you've made, uh, I found to be probably one of the, the biggest things uh, that have helped me. The other uh, important thing, at least that worked well for me. Sometimes you stumble into roles. Um, for me, it was more methodical. So I looked over, uh, I started off as a developer many moons ago, but I looked to diversify my experience, um, knowing that eventually I wanted to get to a CIO role across different facets uh, that the CIO would be responsible for, whether it is strategy to operations, to data centers, cloud, uh, PMOs, uh, uh, managed services, outsource, insource. So I've tried to diversify my experience uh, across uh, multiple decades to pre help prepare me for um, the role of the CIO. Uh, I would say, I don't know that you're ever prepared for what comes at you. Um, uh, every day is, a, is, is an adventure, but um, I find the the combination of trying to get different experiences which by the way was one of the advice that i got very early on from one uh somebody in my network uh, that i trusted that that um was kind enough to uh, spare some of his time and effort to advise me in terms of my career growth so combination of having somebody that can help you chart a future with looking for opportunities deliberately rather than opportunistically um, sometimes when you just go opportunistic, like what's the next title or what's the next big paycheck that doesn't always get you necessarily. And sometimes I've, I've taken a step backwards sometimes to take a step forward. Right. So I think you, you have to have a goal in mind. What experience do you need to get there? How do you get that experience? And if that means that, uh, maybe for a few years, you need to take a pay cut to, to help you get to where you want to go, then that's a, an investment worth making. That's really wise advice. I really appreciate you you sharing that, Munir. And, and thank you more generally for a great conversation covering your your current post as CIO of TransUnion, some of the exciting things you and your your, uh, your team are working on. Really appreciate you, you taking the time with me today. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much.